Welcome to episode number 59 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring director Bill Polad of the film Love and Mercy, the story of beach boy Brian Wilson, starring Paul Dano, John Cusack, Elizabeth Banks, and Paul Giamatti, which is now available on video on demand. We'll discuss the performances in Love and Mercy, Bill Pollard's collaboration with Academy Award-nominated screenwriter Orrin Moverman, and his research conducted with real beach boy and incredible musician Brian Wilson. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And don't forget, you still have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software by doing all of the above. Like us on Facebook, Jog Road Productions. Follow us on Instagram, Jog Road Productions. Follow us on Twitter, at Jog Road. Subscribe to our Jog Road Productions YouTube channel. And don't forget to write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. Do all of the above and you'll have a chance to win a free download of the Final Draft screenwriting software brought to you by Road to Cinema and our friends at Final Draft. And now we join director Bill Polad as he discusses his work on the film Love and Mercy, which is now available on video on demand. What initially led you to working in the film business uh, and also some early lessons that uh, you've picked up over the years as a producer? Okay, Um, yeah. Uh, You know, just I got into the film business really because I love movies, you know, kind of grew up um, with uh, movies being a big part of my life, just, you know, very early age. Um, so it was that kind of feeling of wanting to be involved, wanting to be able to tell stories that I suppose had the kind of impact that um, some of those movies had on me as I was growing up. So that was the initial, um, and that was pretty early on. Um, uh, I remember, you know, in grade school even saying that that's what I wanted to do, even though I really didn't understand much about it at that point, but that was my goal. So, yeah, and then uh, worked for a long time in, in different businesses, marketing and advertising and things like that, knowing that I wanted to ultimately be in the film business, but it took me a little while to kind of find my way through it, and then um, actually started River Road back in the late 80s. Um, again, with the goal of, of making movies. And at that time, uh, yeah, it was more about directing and writing. I was, I, I, that's what I started doing, and that's what I was doing at that point. Um, so when we first got started, we did a feature film in 89 that I uh, co-wrote and directed. Uh, and so that was good, except that it ended up not being incredibly um, successful, certainly financially. Um, so I, I kind of stepped away from it for a while. I, I ended up wanting to stay in Minneapolis and, and uh, working out of here. So I ended up doing a lot of commercial and documentary, and documentary work um, for most of the 90s. Um, and it allowed me to keep directing, but it didn't get me any closer to the feature side. So I, yeah, around the early 2000s, I decided to put a, uh, my directing aspirations on hold for a bit and, uh, you know, concentrating on producing. And that's kind of where things picked up for River Road at that point as far as, um, you know, a lot of the producing we've been doing for the last 15 years. And then so ultimately I was 
finally able to step back into the director's chair um, once I felt the company was established and we're in a good uh, place to do a good job of it. So. Uh, what do you think uh, are some, you know, things that are important, you know, knowing as a producer that sort of carry over into directing? Well, I mean, you obviously pick up a lot of things over the years and, and, and through the different experiences. Certainly, I've worked with a lot of great directors um, during my, uh, you know, activities as a producer. Um, and so that's important for sure. I think probably more important is, is developing your own sensibilities in that regard. Um, your kind of eye and your your taste and, and sensibility and hopefully if you're kind of uh, diligent at that, that uh, translates into the work you end up, end up doing, you know, if you're able to, uh, you know, suddenly having the ability to uh, kind of channel um, my perspective and uh, uh, my vision uh, into work. I mean, uh, certainly you can do that as a producer, but certainly felt more fulfilled even more uh, as a director, you know. So, I, I don't know, I, I suppose the bottom line, it, it's kind of more sticking to uh, your view of things and your perspective rather than just completely kind of going whichever way the wind blows or, or deciding to do certain things for more logical reasons. Um, uh, I think that's important. Uh, so I was curious, um, you know, knowing that you had directed your first feature so many years ago, what initially grabbed your interest about Brian Wilson's story that made you want to jump back into directing again? Yeah. Well, I actually had been, um, you know, kind of coming back to directing for a while before that. We had looked at a couple different projects. I had, I'd become a little more comfortable with letting people knew, know that that's what I wanted to do, and that was my interest all along was to get back to directing. Um, but I, again, I had kept it quiet for a while because I didn't like that, the notion or the idea of a producer who suddenly wants to be a direct, director that just didn't sit well with me. It was directing is something I've always loved and have been committed to. And it was more the producing thing that came from, uh, you know, a different place. So I felt, you know, at that point, uh, I was developing some projects that I had hoped um, that I would end up directing when this the script came in. Um, the John Wells company had been working on trying to put together a, a film about Brian Wilson um, for a while, and they brought us a script um, called Heroes and Villains that they had hoped that we would kind of co-produce and co-finance with them on it. And, I read the script and, and it didn't really appeal to me and not, not a bad script necessarily, but just not something that did anything for me. But I was certainly very intrigued by Brian's life and his music and, and everything that had gone on with him. So I said, you know, if this doesn't work out for you guys, come back and we'll start over. You know, so they, uh, I think, tried to get that version of the film made. And uh uh, but then ultimately came back and, and we started working on it. And it was during the process, I, again, working on it as a producer at that point, uh, while I was developing these other things to direct, that I started working with Oren Moverman, um, who we hired to write the script, uh, the new script. And uh, in working with him, uh, I suppose my vision of it crystallized more. And in working with Oren and 
it was actually him at one point uh, that said, you know, you should really direct this. You know, you've got the vision for it. You should do it. So um, I used that as a, an excuse and an opportunity to kind of um, switch my focus to um, love and mercy and uh, jump back in. I was curious, um, when you were working with Warren, uh, did the two of you conduct a lot of research? Did you talk with uh, Brian Wilson quite a bit? And I was also wondering sort of how that cross-cutting structure of the older Brian and the younger Brian uh, came to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, again, Warren and I hit it off immediately once we started talking, uh, you know, once we met and started talking about the thing. I think we kind of saw eye to eye and really connected on the fact that Neither of us had any interest really in doing a biopic, you know, kind of a standard thing where you're kind of forced to hit every beat in a guy's life. And in Brian's case, there's a lot of beats, and, and it just it wouldn't allow you to um, get intimate with the character. And that was what was interesting to me was to, you know, as exciting and, and whatever uh, celebrated as Brian's music is and the whole Beach Boys thing, the you know, that kind of, that side of it alone wouldn't have been enough to really hook me. And so we both, again, agreed on that, and we're trying to figure out how to approach it in a different way, um, in a way that would allow us to be more intimate and uh, see the more human side of, of Brian. And so as we started to develop it, this idea of, of two, you know, taking two eras in his life, um, two particular periods in his life, and intertwining them felt like we could paint a better and deeper portrait of, of Brian uh, than by, again, taking that kind of whole big picture. Um, so we started pursuing that and then started working with the, you know, interweaving the two strands and, and having them kind of work off each other and kind of build the story and the portrait that way. Um, and as we got more into it, 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 it developed, um, it's almost like it started to snowball. I mean, you're doing a movie about Brian Wilson, and, and in that case, he's a guy who, you know, pushed a lot of boundaries and did, you know, he himself certainly was interested in doing things that were new and different and, and not exactly trotting the same ground as other people. So we kind of use that as an inspiration to keep pushing us along in the way we conceive the film. So whereas first we did the idea of just the two eras and interweaving them, and then the idea of, of having two different actors play the role came along. And, and again, it felt like snowballing. We, we got to do this. We're pushed in that direction to approach it in that way. Yeah, I was curious, um, what stood out for you about Paul Dano and John Cusack, uh, where you thought that they would be perfect for the two different Bryans? Yeah, I mean, for me, the honestly, we called them, you know, Brian Past and Brian Future um, when we were, you know, working on the script. And Brian Past, of course, was the Brian from the 60s. And, and that era is such, I don't know, it's so iconic, you know, the... Uh, Everybody knows the story, or at least you know thinks they know much of the story, the outline of it, of this kind of creative genius who's you know running into his own personal demons. Um, but you know certainly it it revolves around this kind of Brian Wilson, this more iconic vision of Brian Wilson, 
or image. Um, you know, we've seen the pictures and all that, and it's kind of more that Beatles era and the kind of classic Brian Wilson look. And to me, you know, Paul Dano, I mean, first of all, you start thinking about actors in that category, in that age range, and then you start thinking, well, you know, not that it's all about physical appearance, but to me, I could really see um, Brian in Paul. I could see him going in that direction. Plus, and again, more importantly, his sensitivity to this kind of a role. You, you know, we've seen Paul play a lot of amazing characters, and but a lot of them are dark, kind of troubled individuals. And it was exciting to think about him playing a more sympathetic guy, but still a very complex character with a lot of demons. Um, so I guess it was a combination of, of those two things. Uh, yes, he, I, I could see the physical side playing out well, but more importantly, it just seemed like he had the sensitivity and the talent to, you know, capture Brian from that era and the decline. Um, the the Brian Future ca- character. Um, the one in the 80s was a little more difficult because, uh, you know, it's a complex character going through a different part of of Brian Wilson's arc. But it also, from a physical standpoint, Brian during the 80s really looked, uh, you know, he had a a very different look and and it would change. I mean, if you look at pictures from that era, sometimes he's super heavy and scraggly and bearded and, you know, looks totally wasted and then at other times he looks very fit and trim almost where he's emaciated um, you know thanks to the influence of Dr. Landy so it was hard to kind of I don't know think about what the right approach would be um, physically and therefore what actor might be able to capture that era so I I was actually watching I rewatched a documentary called I Just Wasn't Made for These Times that Don was did about uh, Brian Wilson back in the early 90s, and I, I rewatched it, and, and the shot of Brian, the real Brian, came up at the beginning where he's sitting in a leather jacket and kind of talking off to the camera, and it just made me think of John uh, Cusack. I thought, that's that's it, you know, because we had talked about a lot of different things, and, and again, it was a case of thinking of other roles that John has played recently. I mean, he's a great actor, but a lot of times he's done, you know, kind of different things that haven't necessarily, um, you know, worked, I think, to the strength of him as an actor. And it just felt, in this case, it was a role that he could really grab onto and really it would be exciting if he he could pull it off, and he did. Yeah, Yeah, for me, I think it's been uh, years since I recall a a role that John Cusack has had that's, you know, had some depth to it in a way. And I feel like this is something that has has that on it where he can really latch on to something. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Um, I was curious, too, looking back at Brian Wilson's time with Dr. Landy and a lot of the trauma that had happened through the 1980s, was there anything that really shocked you conducting research about that period of Brian's life? honest I mean uh, I'm probably you know I didn't grow up uh, or in uh, whatever I wasn't necessarily a, a Brian Wilson aficionado and you know honestly growing up I was more of a Beatles guy than a Beach Boys guy but um, you know and so I could you know maybe see it 
a little uh, more from a distance rather than you know being too close to it to to really see it objectively and I think that's important and so in a lot of ways I knew the outline of the story but uh, the detail of it really was you know shocking to me you know to find out and and you know going back to your previous question you know certainly working with Brian talking to Brian and then Melinda and getting their kind of take on what really happened the kind of first-hand account of where they saw or how they saw things happening and all that was super super important you know we did a lot of research for sure um you know Oren, you know the first draft was filled with great stuff um about the beach boys and brian that had been gathered from you know kind of common knowledge there's so much written about them and and all over the place that you know there was plenty in there that uh, I thought was great stuff. But then being able to talk to Brian and Melinda and really kind of build off that base of knowledge and get more depth into it was exciting, but also shocking to hear, you know, some of the things that went on. I mean, honestly, when Brian first saw the movie, I mean, one of his comments was that we were kind of too nice to Landy, that there were aspects of that relationship that were even worse than we portrayed it as. So those kind of things are always shocking, you know, when you're meeting, you know, some kind of uh, legend or myth about a person and then hear it from him as to how it really was. It's, there's a lot of eye-opening experiences in that. And then um, sort of on the other end of the spectrum, uh, dealing with the younger Brian Wilson and the innovations in recording pet sounds, um, what did you think that you really latched onto that you thought was interesting and how Brian conceived of that album and how he wanted to execute it? Yeah, I mean, certainly that was one of the more exciting things about, I mean, certainly for sure, that Brian's human story or him as a person was you know, what was going to sustain the movie for me and what makes it most relevant. Um, but, you know, you can't deny that the music and his creative genius uh, was thrilling to explore. And when we were deciding, as I said earlier, about the two strands, you know, we ended up picking the 60s and the 80s. And, and you know, the 80s was kind of uh, following Melinda into meeting this guy, this, this odd character that she just runs up against and and then finds out all this crazy stuff about Dr. Landy. But the, so I thought that was a great way in for the audience. But the, uh, the other strand, it felt like you couldn't really tell the Brian Wilson story without telling the Pet Sounds story. It was just such a key uh, era in his life. It just so, uh, just, quintessential in his life and I was also excited because you know I, I'm a music fan and I've always loved um, music and the way it's created and when I was growing up there weren't you know whatever the VH1 behind the music or whatever you didn't get to see how those how people worked very often but there were a couple films you know Let It Be or Sympathy for the Devil um, that would give you a little look into that process, and I, you know, was just always ate that stuff up. I just loved it. And then I, you know, 90s, I, I was doing a lot of documentary work, and, and so that style of trying to capture 
uh, you know, something like that in a real spontaneous way really appealed to me. So that's, you know, uh, that's what led to the way we tried to capture those recording sessions. Yeah, I was curious, um, from a filmmaking perspective, um, what you may have learned in the editing process and if anything about how you initially conceived of the movie changed during that time? Uh, you know, there's all, it's always evolved. I mean, the, the core of it, the fact that we wanted to interweave these two uh, eras, uh, you know, actually originally it was three eras. We were, you know, we had, had Brian past, present, and future, and the Brian present was the, you know, the guy in bed, the guy who spent, you know, so much time in, whatever, the 70s uh, in, in bed. And so in, in script form, we were kind of working on that. It did start to evolve out or become less important um, uh, as, as we were writing. But, you know, certainly in the edit, too, it kind of reduced itself. Um, so things like that come along. But, uh, but the intertwining, interweaving of the two eras, that really was by design in the, in the script stage. Um, but, you know, there's always things that happen in the edit, and I think that's part of the excitement of the edit. You know, I think sometimes people feel like, you know, you're just putting things together at that point and refining them, but, you know, uh, certainly that's as much of an exciting creative, you know, part of the process as shooting is or writing um, the edit. And and so it was thrilling to go through all that. It, It was nice, first of all, to see that, you know, the general concept and the way we wrote it was working as far as intertwining the two. But there were certainly times, you know, where we came up against scenes that we thought were going to be, you know, really key to the whole thing. And then, you know, you end up cutting them because it just doesn't work. And we had shot a scene of the Beach Boys early on where um, Brian's father, Murray, comes in and breaks up, you know, kind of drunkenly, interrupts in uh, one of the recording sessions and we thought that would be you know a really important scene and it was but at the end of the day when we looked at it in the, in the cut it felt like it told too much of the story too quickly and so we ended up leaving it out or cutting it out um, so those kind of you know changes happen you wouldn't necessarily expect them or you can't you know you can't predict that something like that's going to happen. You just got to feel it out as you go. Yeah. Um, something I was curious about from before, um, did you know about any research that uh, Paul Dano and John Cusack had done in preparation for their roles? Well, we, you know, you know, both of them and I talked about um, that. You know, I thought it was important that that they find their own Brian. I've said this a couple times, but I mean, the idea that... Um, you know, the fact that we chose two different people to play the two roles led me to believe that, you know, it was also the right decision to keep going with that. And in other words, not have them coordinate their performances or their Bryans. I, I didn't want them to, I, I never had them meet in advance, and we all didn't sit down and say, okay, this is the Brian that I want you both to kind of capture. I, I thought it was more important that they find their own. And so um, we, that's how we pursued it. And, you know, John, for example, spent a lot of time with the real Brian Wilson and got to know him and through 
through that personal contact, whereas Paul didn't, uh, you know, felt just it just felt a little bit like the Brian of today is very removed from the Brian, you know, when he, he was in his 20s. I mean, it's the same person, but uh, it, we both felt like it wouldn't necessarily be that helpful for him to spend a lot of time with the real Brian. Um, and so instead, he captured that Brian or, or kind of got closer to that Brian through, you know, the music, through some of the films and and recordings um, of Brian during that era, but primarily through the music. I think Paul often says that that was his way in, was just to listen to the music and kind of really um, get inside it. I was curious, is there any moment in the film that, um, you know, seeing it in the finished product that goes beyond your expectations of uh, when you initially conceived it? Well, I, I think whenever you're doing something like this as a director, and suddenly it had been a long time since I've directed, so in one way you're questioning yourself all the time, um, kind of wondering, you know, how it's going and if you're doing the right thing and all that. But at the end of the day, I think as a director, you have to have a certain amount of, well, you have to have confidence. And and, and, and I guess that takes a little bit of an ego or something where you got to really believe that what you're doing is right and the vision you're pursuing is right. Because, you know, whether it's the Brian Wilson myth and everybody has been trying to do this for a long time or just a sense of responsibility to a living person and, you know, a celebrated living person, you want to do the right thing. Um, but again, you can't let that overwhelm you. You have to, you know, go for it and really you can't be shy or or questioning about it. You always want to listen to your collaborators and all that, but at the end of the day, you have to make the decision. Somebody has to make the decision so that it's it holds together as a as a um, you know a, a single portrait, not not all over the board like by committee or something. Huh. Is there anything that you picked up from working on this film that you may sort of carry on to the next film that you direct? Oh yeah, I mean for sure. You can't. Um, I mean, hopefully you can't not do that. Um, I think certainly just for me getting back to it after being gone for so long, yet, yet I, I felt very comfortable doing it. I, it didn't feel like like I was drowning in ever, ever. And so that was interesting that I maintained that, that uh, feeling and composure about it. Um, but everything that every day that goes by, even though I say it felt very natural and, and smooth, it did. But certainly every day, that doesn't mean that every day isn't filled with challenges and, and decisions you have to make and all that. Um, so, I mean, those kind of lessons are innumerable. I mean, uh, you know, but as far as some overall thing, I don't think so. I think it, I can't think of anything right now that's just like an overwhelming lesson that I learned from this that then I'll take on to the next thing. I think it's, it's more about building your confidence and, and understanding the process and, and, you know, where things that I thought in writing, in the writing stage when Oren was working on it, um, that I thought versus how it ended up, you know, there are lessons like things change <laughs> and that you're always evolving. But I can't think of any specific lesson that just changed my viewpoint on the filmmaking process. 
and and lastly, um, I was just curious showing the film to Brian and his wife, and um, you know you sort of alluded to this before, but uh, what was that experience like? Uh, you know, sharing you know your interpretation of those times, some very traumatic moments in his life. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I wanted to make sure that Brian understood what we were doing. You don't want to just kind of go off and, you know, do something that's completely, again, you have a responsibility to the film to be objective and not to be too beholden to the subject, you know, like, you know, because everybody's going to think they're smarter or funnier or maybe doesn't doesn't want to show that side. You have to be objective about it. Otherwise, you're going to end up with kind of a one-dimensional film that's not very, you know, relevant. Um, but you have that, um, uh, uh, you know, you, you nevertheless still feel a responsibility to these two people. Um, you want them to like it, or, or at least feel like it, you know, somehow captures um, their lives. So I actually, I showed it to uh, Melinda first um, uh, in a rough cut form, and and you know, honestly, uh, you know, when the lights came up, she was just in shock. I mean, and I, I, you know, as paranoid as I might be as a director, you know, whenever you're showing that kind of thing, I think it's safe to say that she was in shock, yeah, that she didn't know what to think, and in some ways she might not have liked it. I think it is like you you say, you know, you see yourself up on a screen suddenly being portrayed by some actress and, and in, in some pretty tough times in your life, it's, it's going to be pretty stunning. Um, and so she, I remember her leaving and saying, oh, that was great, but I could tell that she, you know, maybe didn't really think that. And she went out and she told me this later that she went out and drove around for a couple hours trying to let it settle. And, and then, you know, kind of came more to love it, you know, the next time she saw it. And I, I know that they both love it. Now, Brian... Um, saw it and I wasn't there he wanted to do it by himself but I, I you know he's a little more straightforward right away he doesn't have any not that Melinda isn't but you know Brian has none of our usual human foibles of, of trying to say things you know to be polite or something he'll just say exactly what he thinks no matter what it is and and he came out and and whatever the projectionist was sitting there, he said that was a great movie <laughs> so it was nice to hear that but I actually didn't get to see I didn't actually get to sit with him and talk to him about it uh, until after we saw it together for the first time in Toronto that was the first time that we actually both sat together and, and saw it and then we could talk about it afterwards and I could you know I'm very obviously thrilled that he liked it so much and has continued to kind of support it and and um, be so helpful in the process.